everyone. My name is Amy Shell, and you're listening to Mo Mushrooms. This is season one, episode one, and we will be diving into the basics of mushroom anatomy and how to begin foraging on your own. I really recommend grabbing a notebook and a pen to take some notes for yourself. And before we get started, I want to give a brief overview of why I started this podcast and why, even if you have always hated the taste, smell, texture, general idea of mushrooms, I really think you could still enjoy listening. I listen to lots of different podcasts about mushrooms and I love them all, but I have found that they're mostly focused on the coast. Missouri has a wonderful environment for all kinds of different mushrooms and fungi, and I wanted to bring some focus to our specific region and our seasons. Um, There is going to be a lot here about foraging and cooking mushrooms, but that is just one small piece of what I am trying to introduce to you. There are thousands of amazing resources out there to get all of your mushroom information from, and these subjects range from (laughs) bioengineering medicinal purposes, wild foraging, and even down to the history of human spirituality. So I want to create a place where we can discuss all of those topics. And whenever I can, I'm going to connect them back to Missouri in the Midwest. This is truly a passion project for me. I am learning right along with you. You're going to hear me citing my sources and recommending books and Facebook groups and so on. Um, my format is probably something that's also going to change, maybe not week to week, but you know, pretty often I like to switch it up. So I'm going to be doing some interviews with people. I will have some co-hosts on occasion. Sometimes you'll just be stuck with me, but I, I hope that you enjoy listening as much as I'm enjoying creating this. Let's jump right in. The most common reaction that I get after I tell people that I uh, forage and eat wild mushrooms, they usually look at me like I have six heads and then they start asking me questions about you know, aren't they poisonous or don't you feel like weird and trippy when you eat them? What do you mean? You just, you pick them up off the ground and you eat them. (laughs) I mean, everybody is for the most part shocked. So the answer is yes, there are a lot of poisonous ones. So here's our first rule. You never put a mushroom or a plant in your mouth unless you are absolutely sure of what it is. You need to cross-reference every single thing that you find. I'm going to give you three field guide recommendations. The internet is also a great source to help you cross-reference what you're finding. So once you see that you can retain some of this basic information and you have these field guides with you and you know what you're looking for, it's really pretty easy to find wild mushrooms. At least, you know, it's... It's easy in the sense that you won't poison yourself. It's not easy in the sense that you're going to find something all the time, Uh, but it is just a really fun thing to do. So without further ado, we are going to jump right on in. What is a mushroom? The dictionary definition, according to Merriam-Webster, is that it is an enlarged, complex, above-ground, fleshy, fruiting body of a fungus. I personally thought that they were related to plants somehow for a really long time. They aren't, but certain aspects are similar, so you're going to hear me make some analogies. What we think of as mushrooms is really just one small part of a very large and complex organism. Getting into this mushroom anatomy, so we're going to go from top to bottom. 
starting with the cap. This is the part that you see first. That's the uppermost part of the fruiting body. It is the spore bearing surface. So the spores are like seeds. That's what you need to think of spores as, little mushroom seeds. Uh, the shape, texture, color, smell, and moisture level, that all depends uh, on the species. But you're looking at the cap a lot of the time when you're trying to identify what the mushroom is. So within the cap, we have the ascus or the basidius. These are those spore-bearing cells. So we already said spores are like plant seeds. The fruiting body drops these spores to reproduce. And whether a mushroom has an ascus or basidius matters because that's one way that uh, fungi are classified. So we're going to go more in-depth with that here in a few minutes. The next thing that you'll see on the cap are gills. Not all mushrooms have gills. Some have more of a tube-like layer that ends in a pore. So I want you to look up what an oyster mushroom looks like and what a bolete looks like. Bolete is B-O-L-E-T-E. You're going to see the difference I'm talking about. The next thing would be the stalk that comes from the center of the cap. Not all fruiting bodies have a stalk because they don't all need them. The only purpose of a stalk is to raise the mushroom up high enough and that fruiting body up high enough so that it can drop its spores out and reproduce. So if it's growing on a tree, it doesn't need it, usually. The next thing that you might see, again, not all mushrooms have this, would be a veil. This is a protective membrane that covers the gills as that mushroom is growing. Um, it's going to be either a partial or a universal veil. Uh, you'll see it rupture as it gets bigger. So if you've seen those white mushrooms in your yard with the little ring around them on the stem, that's what's left of their veil. We've covered what you see on the outside. Now we're going to go underground, what you don't see. These fruiting bodies are receiving nutrients from the organic matter around them. The entire fungus is getting their nutrients from something called hyphae. These are little fibers that absorb nutrients. So a group of hyphae is called mycelium. When you see a mushroom coming up out of the ground or a tree stump, it's because the mycelium of that particular fungus has eaten its way through the nutrients and come up on the other side. The mycelium and the mycelial network is also, it's always kind of searching for more nutrients and searching for new um, hyphae to connect to and create new fruiting bodies. Um, so that's something else that we need to touch on here. Just because a fruiting body drops its spores doesn't mean there's going to be new fruiting bodies in the next year. Uh, in order for there to be a new fruiting body, the hyphae of that fungus needs to meet up with the compatible hyphae of another. And now I'm going to share with you a fun fact that I learned from a book called Mycophilia by Eugenia Bone. In just one cubic inch of soil, there could be a mycelial network that stretches up to eight miles long. That blew my mind when I read that book. And I got to give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Maddie, because she gave it to me as a Christmas present two years ago. And I was already kind of thinking about getting into the world of mycology and just, you know, one more excuse to go on more hikes or whatever. And then she gave me this book and Eugenia bone, you guys, she's a food critic first and she is just hilarious. Um, 
She does such a great job of putting a whole lot of information together in one book. So I'll spell her name for you. Uh, E-U-G-E-N-I-A. And then bone is just like bone, like it sounds. And mycophilia is M-Y-C-O-P-H-I-L-I-A. Can't recommend it enough. Next, we're going to talk about how these mycelial networks get the nutrients for the fungus. So it's going to be in one of three ways. They're going to be saprophytes, meaning they get their nutrients from dead plant matter or the feces of some animals. They're going to be parasites. Those latch onto living plants and animals. And the third type is going to be a mycorrhizal relationship. And that means that there's a symbiotic relationship with a plant. Uh, the mycelial network will merge with the root system of a tree or plant and give it extra nutrients and water. And then in return, the tree photosynthesizes and gives its energy back to the mycelium. So pretty cool. The next piece of this are classifications of different types of mushrooms. And I want to start by saying that it is very generalized here, what I've given you this list. Um, I found this information again, kind of all over the place. It's, it's in all of my, all of the field guides that I have. Uh, I had done some digging onto Washington University's website as well. So I just want you to keep in mind that it is generalized and you're welcome to dive more into this. Something else to note, the names of these fungi are constantly changing because new scientists are discovering new species and new, you know, people like to name things after themselves. So <laughs> these names are still changing quite a bit, but whether or not a fungus is edible, that's not going to change. So across the board, you're going to see, you know, you might see two different names for the same fungus, but they're both labeled as edible. That's never going to be something that you're going to have to worry about changing. All right. So we've got these two very generalized classifications. Uh, these fungi are going to fall into either ascomycetes or basidiomycetes. And remember that that refers to the type of spore-bearing cell that that fungus has in their fruiting body cap. Ascomycetes, this group includes cup fungi and earth tongues. Uh, I'm not really going to talk too much about earth tongues. I'm going to talk more about cup fungi because morels are a cup fungi. Next, we have basidiomycetes, and this is the group that has a ton. There's just all kinds of stuff in here. Um, so there's a lot of edibles in here. There's definitely some poisonous ones in here. Uh, we're going to talk about all of them. First, you have agarics. You have probably tried an agaric before, an agaric bisporus, also known as the button mushroom, also known as a criminy mushroom. Bella, Baby Bella, and Portobello's. It's all the same mushroom. Amanitas. So if you googled Amanita muscaria, you would see the red and white mushroom that you've seen in fairy tales and kind of all over like the hippie artwork. <laughs> That's the red cap with the white dots. That's an Amanita muscaria. All Amanitas have a white spore print. Spore prints are kind of fun to do. I'll talk about those here in a little bit. Um, but uh, an Amanita, I, I referenced those white mushrooms that you've probably seen in your yard with the veil. You'd see the remnants of the veil. Uh, that is a 
very poisonous Amanita that's commonly known as a destroying angel. So you're absolutely right not to go looking in your yard and just eating those white mushrooms. Stay away from them. They're super poisonous. Polypores are the next type we're going to talk about. Um, There's a ton of those too. If you've heard of chicken of the woods or turkey tails, those are polypores. Chanterelles are really well known for being super tasty. I have never found one and I've never tried one. So that's on my list this season to try to find some chanterelles. Puffballs are funny. <laughs> they look they look like a puffball. They look like these little round clusters growing on different, you know, tree stumps. Um when you burst a puffball, all you'll see this little white cloud come billowing out and that's all the spores. They are edible. I've never eaten them. That's again on my list. Next we have boletes. There are a ton of different kinds of boletes, about 200 different species, and they're, you know, learning new ones all the time. A lot of the boletes are edible. This is an example of one I've already said that has pores instead of gills on the bottom. Um, I've never tried one. I've found them before, but some people don't really like the taste of them. Next, we've got russulas, and these are well-known for their brightly colored round caps. They can be found near the roots of trees, and they have a mycorrhizal relationship to their host. So you've probably seen a poisonous russula. They are those really cute little mushrooms that have a white stem and a bright red cap. Another one I want to touch on is a tooth fungi. So lion's mane falls into this category, and... Lion's mane look like snowballs growing out the side of a tree stump. That's the best way I can describe it. And it tastes just like crab meat or lobster. It's incredible. I It truly does. The texture is not quite the same, but I make crab cakes whenever I find lion's mane and you can't tell the difference. So I know that that was all very luxury, but I really think it's important to understand what it is that you're looking for on every level. Knowing how a mushroom gets its nutrients and if it's mycorrhizal, saprophytic, or parasitic can help you with where you should even be looking for certain types of mushrooms. That right there is going to eliminate a whole bunch of them, you know? So now let's talk about what you need in your foraging kit. I've already mentioned field guides. These are my field guides that I use. The first one is Mushrooms of the Midwest by Michael Kuo. Um, Last name is K-U-O. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is definitely a field guide that's a little more academic sounding, but it has some stunning photos in there and it, it helps you to start your own mushroom spore collection and catalog your finds, even if you're not just out there for the edible ones, if you're kind of just wanting a general collection. I really enjoy that book for that. The next one that I use all the time is Edible Wild Mushrooms of Illinois and the Surrounding States, A Field to Kitchen Guide. This book is by Joe McFarland. It's definitely been the most helpful to me, especially at the beginning, as far as getting familiar with some of the layman's terms for different mushrooms. And they've got some wonderful recipes. They've got some really helpful hints in there. So I I really enjoy that book. The third one that I use is from the Missouri Department of Conservation. They have a guide to Missouri's edible and poisonous mushrooms. It's a PDF file, and I like this because I can save it on my phone and just carry it around with me in my pocket if I don't feel like lugging around my whole backpack. Um, 
and really the Missouri Department of Conservation, that's just a great resource in general. You should totally check out their website. They've got all kinds of good stuff over there. So next you're going to want to use either a mesh bag or a basket. A basket was just like bulky for me. I liked the idea of carrying a basket through the woods and some people still do, but I found some reusable produce bags that are just mesh and, um, you know, it's lightweight. It's easy for me to carry around. The biggest deal, the reason you want the holes in your bag or in your basket is because you are helping to drop spores. So as you're walking, those spores are being dropped and you're going to help pass along the fungus to its next location on the journey. I think it's a really cool thing. We help with the ecosystem, you know, just by, by foraging. Uh, you're also going to want to have a pocket knife. So this is kind of funny. It's a somewhat debated fact, but the general consensus is that it's much better to cut the stem of the fruiting body away from the stump or away from the ground than just to like rip it because you could di- damage the mycelial network beneath the forest floor if you're just kind of ripping it out. Um, so the last item that you're going to want to have with you is going to be your mushroom notebook. And you can keep track of what you're finding and where you found it and where you think certain mushrooms might spring up during their season. I'm always scouting out new locations or trying to keep note of where I saw, you know, a certain type of tree that will maybe you know, have some delicious mushrooms waiting for me next year or when the season comes. I keep all those supplies in a backpack and that's it. That's really all you need. I've already mentioned at least one hard and fast rule. We're going to go over my personal rules for when you're foraging. I'm going to say this again. Do not eat anything unless you are 1000% sure that that mushroom is what you think it is. Second rule is going to be take only what you need. Do not over harvest. There's no reason for it. You know, if you have more than you're ever going to be able to eat or freeze or dehydrate, just don't take them. Take what you need. Lastly, don't trespass on private property. That's not a very nice thing to do. (laughs) Make sure you get permission from the landowners. And national parks are also a big no-no, actually, um, because, uh, you know, over harvesting. There's a lot of foragers out there who go and forage for money. You know, they sell what they find to restaurants and things and to make sure that the environment isn't damaged. National parks are a no-no. You will get fined big time if they catch you. And the park rangers do look for foragers. So, you know, just stick to your like state parks and neighborhood areas and all that. And I promise we're going to keep talking about where you can look and where you can find mushrooms. I mentioned spore prints, and I've mentioned a lot about gills and caps and the colors of them and all that. I promise I'm going to be more specific. We're going to really dive into how you start identifying these mushrooms um, and and how to really spot them and not mistake them for other things. We're going to dive into that in the second episode. But Part of the way that I'm organizing this is in a way that I wish I would have done it myself when I first got into foraging. So what I wish I would have done was paid attention to certain types of trees and plants and then gone out kind of having an idea of what's even around me because you're just going to be going in circles. Morels grow near, you know, elm trees a lot of the time 
And if you don't know what an elm tree looks like and you're just going in circles in the woods, that's going to get really frustrating. So the final little segment that we are going to touch on today are four different kinds of trees. These four trees, there are other fungi that are edible and delicious and grow on and near them, but I am focusing on them specifically because we are going to talk about morels a lot in the next episode, and this is where you are going to find your morels. Ash, elm, oak, and hickory trees are four trees that morels love. Um, The ash and the elm trees look very similar. They both have kind of a brownish gray bark, but if you look at their leaves, that's what's going to give them away. Elms have leaves that are born from their own stem, so they're staggered on their branches and there's only one leaf. You're not going to really see a cluster. Ashes have clusters of leaves and they grow directly across from each other on either side of the stem. So the elms are singular leaves and they're not staggered, or they are staggered, excuse me, and ashes have the clusters that are growing directly across from each other. Oak trees have lobed leaves. They're kind of rounded on the edges and they all produce acorns. The bark has really deep fissures and ridges and that can make it look kind of scaly. The hickory trees have very distinctive leaves. They grow in groups on one long stalk. So when you're looking at these, at these leaves, um, you're going to see a whole bunch of leaves kind of on one long stem. Um, their bark grows in a vertical pattern. Sometimes the bark is lifted and can kind of peel from, usually from top to bottom. This did not work for me when I was just reading about this or listening to this. That doesn't work for me. I'm so visual. I recommend going out on your next hike and have some pictures of different types of trees pulled up and take a look around you and see if you can start identifying them. I have to be literally staring at my phone of the picture of this tree and then like look at the tree in front of me and see if it matches up. That's how I started getting familiar. And I, I'm definitely still a work in progress. It's very hard for me to distinguish trees and I'm getting better all the time, but you know, it's just one of those things you're going to keep learning as you go. I know it can seem very daunting to start looking for wild mushrooms on your own. And before we had COVID, um, that you could sign up for group forages with your state's mycological societies. I'm a member of the Missouri Mycological Society. I think it was like $20 for the whole year. It's so cheap and so amazing. It's a great resource and a fun way to meet new people. Um, normally, I would have learned all kinds of different things in classes and going on forges and they did offer some great zoom classes, but I always ended up having to work. So I was never able to attend those. I'm hoping that this year I can really get in there and, and meet some cool people and find some good mushrooms. Now I will say that there is also something to be said for foraging by yourself. There really is. Um, that is my way that I relax from having a really long week So I do love taking people on forages and I am so happy to do it. Anybody who asks me, I'm happy to do it, but I like to teach people how to do it on their own because it's become such a beautiful meditation for me. Um, I just going out and staring, looking for mushrooms, if that's what you're doing, your mind is totally focused on that. You were pretty honed in on the environment around you and you're going to start noticing all kinds of things that you have never seen before. Um, 
you know, just my attention to detail over the past year has grown immensely because I take the time. I ideally would like to spend three or four hours a week by myself in total silence in the woods. I bring my dog with me. That's about it. My husband comes with me sometimes if he's, you know, awake on time because I'm kind of an early riser, but that has really become an essential part of my mental health. So I really encourage you to give that a try. I encourage you to take some of these tips that I'm telling you about trees and, and all of that, paying attention to weather patterns and just start trying to tune in to your environment. And when I release episode two, I'm going to give you some more tools on how you can really get good at identifying the edibles and the poisonous mushrooms. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this first episode. I can't wait to continue on further. Please go ahead and go to Facebook and find my page. It is Mo Mushrooms. Give it a like. You can also email me at momushroompod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to see pictures that you take on your hike. Send them all my way. If you have any questions you want answered, anything you'd like me to feature on this podcast, I am more than happy to listen. So I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much. Thank you.